Welcome back, everyone. This is Eric Ellison with the Digital Education Podcast. And today I'm with Doran Zinger, uh, who is director of Calteach Science and Math Program at UC Irvine. He was a teacher, uh, also a school administrator pr prior to this role. And we had the opportunity to um, have a conversation. Myself and Dennis Eastman had the conversation with him in December about stories uh, of becoming more human. And so Dorn, thank you so much for, for joining me again. And, and the exciting thing is from that podcast came out of the conversation afterwards about something that you're working on that I find fascinating, I find exciting, and it's this idea of ungrading. Um, I'm just going to jump in and ask you that first question and follow your lead. But with ungrading, can you give us a little bit of an idea of what it is from your perspective and then how you got to the place of saying, you know what, this is what this, there's a better way. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And thanks for, thanks for having me again. Um, I think first of all, ungrading broadly is, is kind of poorly defined and could be a lot of things. It could be everything from not grading a particular assignment to not having grades at all over a course or having a different approach to grading um, that isn't grade focused. Uh, maybe it's a particular form of feedback. Um, for me on grading is, is grounded in the notion of focusing on learning rather than grades. So it's, it's this uh, kind of mental shift of, we are here together in whatever course we're here and our focus is on learning, not on grades. And, and part of that is, is the notion that grades really undermine learning of which there's a lot of literature on, um, but really shifting the culture in the classroom broadly to move away from thinking about a count that, that labels you to how are you going to know more or be more uh, around a thing. Um, my journey started a couple of years ago. I'm gonna mention a couple of resources because we're in a place now where there are just tremendous resources out there. Um, uh, Johanna Brown, who is a high school teacher in uh, Eastern Washington, is someone who I began following on social media. She teaches high school AP chemistry and things like that. That got me thinking a little bit. Uh, Jesse Stommel, who is uh, a college educator uh, who's one of the folks behind hybrid pedagogy uh, has been working on this from a really a humanizing standpoint of how how can we humanize instruction and uh, Susan Bloom BLUM uh, recently put out a fantastic book on ungrading which I, I would encourage anybody who's interested in, in in looking at reading it's set up really nicely that each chapter is kind of a vignette or story of a a high school or a college. So you, if you're interested in it, you'll find something in those pieces. Um, but that's really kind of where it got, you know, what, what got me to do it. And I mean, I dove in in a way that I think most people didn't. And, and I kind of went from, we have a grading policy to a place where you're just going to get feedback on all of your, all of your tasks. And, um, and then we're going to collectively assign uh, assign a grade uh, a grade to that. So so 
let me ask you this question because you do mention learning. We do kind of get into this sense of, hey, we want our students. We talk about it. I mean, we've been talking about it since I started my career 23 years ago. Lifelong learners. We want people to have growth mindset. We want them to have all these types of things. Like, and you mentioned some of the research, and we know that when you put a grade on it, learning stops. Um, but yet we haven't been able to free ourselves from kind of the grade. And so for you and your experience and what you're seeing and even what you're practicing, what were some of the, the things where it's like, you know what, I just got to take the next step. What were some of those next steps that you would give people to say, hey, you know what, take this step, take this next step, keep walking down this road. What might be some of those discoveries that, that you made? So um, let me share how I introduced this with my students and, and, and how I did this work myself. And, and I'll invite you to participate, participate in this because it's interesting that you say this. And again, the research is there, but it doesn't seem to have much impact, right? Like we know, we know, and we wanna do better, yet we're stuck in the system. So how, how the heck do we get out of it, right? So, um, and, and this, is, this is something that I think is really important. We gotta start with us, right? So what I would invite anybody listening and, and what I would invite you to do, Eric, is to think, Think about your own schooling, right? Think about your own K-12 schooling experience. Some people, it's been a long time. For some people, think about maybe your college, college experience. But think about your own schooling experience and think about how grades were used in your own schooling experience. Think about a, um, a powerful experience. Think about a cathartic experience or a violent experience. Think about the, something that really resonates with you when you think about what happened to you with grades in your own K-12 schooling. So let's, you know, like Eric, I'm, I'm gonna put you on the spot. So again, think, think back, you know, what, what are some things that you remember about your experiences with grades as a student? Uh, I mean, my experience, and, I, and it's probably experience of a lot of people of my age, it was completely arbitrary. And so for me, it was, I, I underperformed in high school completely because it was so arbitrary. I knew, you know, it was certain kids were going to get certain grades and I was in a group of kids that were going to get other grades, no matter how good my work was or how bad it was. And so for me, it was, I just, I underperformed. Um, I always loved learning, but it was that place where I drove my mother crazy. Cause she's like, you can do better than this. And I'm like, yes, I can, but my teachers just won't let me because it, it didn't make sense. So let's unpack that for a second, right? Because you bring up what, listen, I've never seen. And again, I challenge anybody to show me a, a grading policy that isn't arbitrary in some way. It, they're all going to be arbitrary in some way. But Eric, you mentioned this piece about, you know, being part of a group and there was a group. So I'm wondering, is there a particular experience or a particular group or the way this, this was really kind of embodied in you? Yeah, I mean, the best example for me was I was an athlete. Um, I went on to play college sports, um, but I wasn't, I wasn't a fast runner. I was slow. I was really slow. I had other skills and other things and I became a pitcher and you don't have to run to be a pitcher. <laughs> um, but I remember PE every year, B, B. I was a three sport athlete, um, but I always got to be, it didn't matter. 
because my my teacher, my PE teacher, who was my PE teacher for four years, thought I should, he didn't think I was working very hard. So he would knock me down. I'm like, I'm just not a fast runner. And, you know, so I always had those conversations with them where it was, Hey, you know what? I'm an athlete. You expect this of me, but you haven't set standards that I need to meet. And I'm meeting those standards as an athlete and all these other things in these other ways. But then we come into PE and stand around and play kickball or do this or do that. And you don't think I'm working hard enough because I'm not running fast enough. So I, I want to come back to what you said, you know, in, in one aspect, but again, like I think about that. Like, I mean, let's think about like, like, let's think about the, you know, 15, 16 year old version of you that's excited about sports that wants to do this. And now you're being subjected to four years with the same teacher that is bludgeoning you, right. And telling you you're not good enough. And now it has impact at home because your mom is going, how the heck are you getting a B and PE when you're a three, you know, a three sport um, star and what the heck is going on, right? So this is how we, this is how I begin this with everyone. Like for me, one of the things that I remember the most, and it set me down a particular pathway was my junior year in high school. I was in a math class. I was, I was having a real hard time with math abstractions and the teacher, and I wasn't doing homework. I didn't understand it. My parents, neither one of them, um, went to college, they couldn't help me. And I just didn't know what the heck I was doing. I was super frustrated. I'm sure listeners, you know, some, some folks can, can sympathize and, and understand that as well. Um, and one day in front of everyone in class, 20 plus years ago, he goes, you're wasted genius, right? This is what this teacher told me. And I can tell you that in as I have this conversation, so again, before I ever start on grading, I never impose it on anyone. It's kind of tricky for me as an instructor because if I truly want to do on grading, which is a focus on learning, then we collectively have to decide to do that as a class. And that requires some measure of trust between the students and I, and I'm really asking them to trust me. I mean, think how wild this is, especially at the college level of, I'm not gonna get grades. It's really unnerving and unsettling, but I can tell you, and having had this, this kind of conversation individually or with groups, we need to spend 20 minutes, half an hour sometimes, unpacking the trauma of instructors refusing uh, students to go see ill parents because you need to be here. Um, school policies that it doesn't matter if you're an athlete or a woman in STEM or you know the color of your skin or your gender. The next year, if I don't hear this next year, it will be the first time I haven't heard of either a student or their friends soiling themselves because they couldn't go to the bathroom, right? Either because the instructor wouldn't allow them to go into the bathroom or because they needed the points because they had bathroom passes and limited bathroom passes. And we just got to stop for a second and think about the absurdity of how we use these grading policies. And just like you said about this arbitrary nature, right? And setting these arbitrary bars of you do what I say and controlling, right? Really controlling bodies. And, and I use the word bludgeoning deliberately, um, students to get them to comply with what we're doing. 
that has nothing beyond the whole idea of assigning a grade to something moves it away from learning. But you know, having these policies that we really need to stop and think about and go, how bad is this, right? And let's have a conversation about how bad it is that you're not allowing students to go to the bathroom when they need to go to the bathroom. And you don't trust them enough to go to the bathroom when they say they need to go to the bathroom. So can I ask you a question? And it gets into you know, a place like UC Irvine. I work at a selective university now. You work at a highly selective university. So these students are coming in. They've been incredibly successful, right? And so you know, in a lot of ways, they're really smart. They've learned to play the game and they're achievers. How do you pull at those strings for those types of students that have in some ways mastered the game of, 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 you know, grading and of school? Yeah, no, that's, I mean, that's part of this conversation and that's, that's exactly right. And I think through these conversations, I think they come to recognize that they've been robbed in some ways. And even though that they've been successful, they have not been fulfilled. So exactly like you say, one of the things that surprised me is the very first time I did this with a group of students, and very much like you said, these are STEM students at a top university who've mastered the game, but they started talking about their AP scores and how they were taking AP classes in high school that they were excited about the subject. And then as soon as they got into the class, they lost any kind of joy. They were talking about, um, they were talking about their college professors and how they started taking classes, were super excited. And then they were taking midterms that had nothing to do with anything that was covered, right? Or it was uh, around rote memorization. So I think, to your point, it's a combination of two things. To see that even though you're successful in that system, that system has failed you and harmed you. And then there's an element of trust, right? And, and part of that really mechanically, and this is similar to what teachers would do anyway. So, so I, I borrow from Johanna Brown in terms of setting those things. Now, I also never talk about grades the first week. The first week we build community and do other things. The syllabus is gone over in the second or third day of class so that we're not getting there immediately, so we get a feel for each other. But um, I also have a couple of things that I'll talk about, but one most immediately, which is um, you will not be in danger, you, you, you won't get an F in this course without knowing. So if you're in trouble in this course, if you're not making um, enough progress to get uh, a satisfactory grade, you're gonna hear from me. And if we think about this as teachers, we're doing this with our students anyway, right? Like if you think about your quote unquote F student, right? You're not just gonna give them an F. You go, hey, so-and-so, I noticed you're missing these assignments, you're in trouble. Whether there's a, an F grade assigned to that or not, there is that piece. So I always provide that reassurance. And then I go, we're gonna figure, we're gonna figure it out um, together. The other piece of it that I think is really important is I employ something called contract grading. And I didn't even realize that this is what I was doing, but I don't determine the student's grade at the end of the, I, you know, we're in selective institutions, there has to be a grade at the end. The grade is, is decided collaboratively. And what happens is once students know what the expectations of the course are, and once they have a, an opportunity to think about their own learning goals. So now I go back to your PE example. Now imagine, and I think 
this is where ungrading starts unpacking and showing the problems with the way we develop curriculum and instruction. You're a multi-sport athlete and this teacher has decided that the arbitrary measure of your athleticism is your ability to run fast. Now let's think about this. There are hundreds of sports out there that require lots of skills that do, don't involve running that you are able and you are able to demonstrate um, success in, right? So what if we now, one, allow students to create their own measures of success to some degree, right? And if you're saying you're a pitcher is, you know, maybe it's how fast I throw the ball or the type of control I might have or the number of strikes or the way I perform, right? Um, that might be a measure. So contract grading helps bridge this by going, here's what we're going to do in this class. And many of the tasks are open such that you can represent your knowledge in different ways. You can explore different areas, right? And here's our learning goals that are non-negotiable. You're going to have to learn some things. However, there's also room here for you to work on yourself and the things that relate to this that you wanna work on. So you're going to set those goals early on and the accountability, I think a key piece of this is accountability is shifting from accountability, some arbitrary grade, or even accountability to an instructor to some way, to an accountability to myself, and accountability for us as a learning community. So that's probably a lot, right, in terms of, of thinking about that and wrapping your head around it, but it's, it's really, Again, the mechanics of ungrading are actually not that complex in the bigger scheme of things, but getting to a place where we can focus on the learning instead of the grading is a much bigger challenge. I, I, and there's so many threads that this pulls at, right? You talk about curriculum and instruction, you talk about just assessment, you talk about choice. Um, but the two biggest things, I think like you start with trust and building the relationships in a lot of ways, the goal setting, and then the regular communication in the process. When, when, trans, transport yourself back into like that, that high school or middle school classroom, like where you, the places where you've been. If I'm somebody that says there's got to be a better way, Right. And, and, and for me, I started messing around with this stuff in 2007 and got a little bit of runway with it before life changed for me. And, you know, and, and I got into different spaces, but uh, I'm wondering for you is like, if, if you're, if we're, if a teacher's listening and say, Hey, you know what? Like, yeah, I, I get it. I see it. I want to build high trust classrooms, you know, relational community, a humanized sense of learning and us learning together, but then also the individual nature of how this plays out. Like what would be a couple of the tips or the encouragements of like next steps and here's where you can keep going um, in this process. Yeah. So, I mean, my, 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 uh, my, my biggest suggestion that most people won't be ready for is, you know, you just dive in and you go full board. You think about it a lot. And if you go explore it ahead, I mean, it took me a good, a good few months to come to a place where I could try it and I've been refining it since, but I recognize that that's not realistic. But I also really want to point out that often when I talk to teachers about this, and often when we have extended conversations, they realize they have much more agency over their own grading than they think they do, right? Like, oh, I have to have, you know, grades in there for the, you know, the period check you know, every, yeah, go ahead, put those, put those things in there, right? So 
I, I one, really encourage uh, teachers to think about the autonomy they do have and ways that they can um, not grade to the extent, it's probably much more extensive than you think it is. Um, and again, for the most part, I think putting those period grades and the end of term grades uh, and maybe having some other things. So, so that's the first thing that I would say. The other thing is in terms of trying it, there's lots of ways, right? So I'm working with some teachers now who do it for one period, right? I do it, I, I work with some teachers who do it for, you know, one unit, right? Or work on a unit. But I think a critical piece underpinning all of that is when you stop grading, feedback becomes super critical, right? So like what, what, what's one of the things that's wrong with grades is as soon as I see my grade, I stop looking. I know I don't care about improvement. You've, you've rated me however you've rated me. And again, Eric, I think about like your situation with a running. Maybe you could have become a faster runner if the way, you know, your, your teacher would have measured it is by potential improvement. But there was some arbitrary bar and you're like, I'm not reaching the bar. I'm just going to take the B. I'm going to move on. Right. So when I when I think about that, I think about uh, the, the nature of tasks and the type of feedback that we're providing students. And I'll share one small snippet about that. That's been interesting is. Um, one teacher that I'm working with on this would meet semi-regularly with his students to set kind of their periodic grades. And for the most part, not surprisingly, they actually had a lot of congruence. It's like, look, I did this, I did this, and there was agreement. But what was interesting was when he found disagreement, very often he had wronged the students. And what I mean by that, for example, he's like, oh, you're missing all of these assignments. And they're like, yeah, I was out that whole week and I didn't have a chance to do them. Like, Oh, right. Because look, if you're a teacher with 150, 160 students, you're making mistakes. And by the way, think about how that student is feeling at that point of if, if you're not having that conversation. You gave me a C, you know, you're, you're the arbitrary, whatever. I don't even know why I got this. I'm just going to be mad at you and unhappy about this. So I, I think a key piece of this is shifting two things, shifting the thinking to feedback and then also as of yesterday, I now have a policy in my syllabus where students can question and refuse assignments or provide feedback on assignments. And my part of my commitment to them is, if this task isn't promoting our collective learning, why the heck are we doing it? And I think that's kind of a vulnerable position to be as a teacher. But if you think about that, when my first iteration of this really, really helped me realize that some of my assignments were not useful. Some of my policies were not useful. I, as a teacher preparation educator, my goal is to prepare the best social justice focused teachers I possibly can. So when I start looking at readings, when I start looking at what I'm asking them to do, who I'm asking them to talk to, is it promoting that goal? It, it actually forced me to become a better teacher and be more critical. So again, even if you're not going to ungrading, are you going to a place where it's like, what is really my learning objective? right? What, what is my goal for this week, this month, this year? Are these tasks aligned with that? And then you start going, okay, how can I give students meaningful feedback and give them opportunities to improve over time, rather than just slapping a thing on there and then forgetting about it, right? I mean, this also, like when we think about tests, right? It's like, oh, I taught them this two weeks ago. They did okay on the quiz. Two weeks later, they don't remember a thing. Ah, well, yeah, right. There's a reason, right? There's a reason for that. And part of it is the construct of, of schooling. So, 
those would be the things that I would think about. But I really think you have to be in a, in a, in a place where you're willing to take this risk, you're willing to take this chance. If you don't trust your students, you shouldn't do this. That, that's, it's just not going to work. If you're not willing to give them some leeway, it's not going to work. Uh, that's the perfect kind of lead into, I want to take the contrarian view right cuz cuz you do if you don't trust your students right if you know if there's this even if you don't trust yourself like i think you know as i i was really good teacher because i was such a control freak right and i made my kids work really hard it, you know a lot of it was wasted effort that i as i reflect backwards okay so contrarian question what if you know the feedback that you're getting is you know and and i'm going to go it's just them being lazy. They don't want to do it. It's hard. Right. You know, and it's something that, you know, as a professional or, you know, as a teacher, like they need to do this and kind of in that conversation, it's like, uh, this is not, you know, so that side of things, but then also kind of maybe somebody who's listening where like, ah, this is all fluff, right? Where's the rigor? Where's the push? Where's the, you know, the hard, you know, work and the effort and, you know, in the, the really, dirty grimy part of, of, of learning too, that can be really hard at times. So how, how, you respond to the contrarian on that side of things a little bit. Yeah. Let me try to respond to some of those. And some of those I'm, I'm not going to respond to, I'm going to say that the premise is problematic. So um, let me address the, so let me say this, this thing first, I've talked to many people who on grade, I'm yet to meet someone who did it in a genuine way where the results weren't positive. So that, that's like, I, I've, I've actually searched for the person who genuinely tried this, did it, and students were less happy, students learned less, and they were measured, the, the, the outcomes were poor. So I'll, I'll say that first. Um, uh, Eric, honestly, I don't have an answer for, for the teacher who thinks their students are lazy. Um, I have never met a student that can learn, regardless of background, disability, status, whatever else. Uh, I never met a student that didn't learn under the right circumstances, right? So, um, you know, that scenario, it's like, who do we talk at admin and how do we stop having deficit perspectives of our students and become more introspective, right? Like when something doesn't work, and I was fortunate to learn this as a K-12 teacher, when 30% of my students fail a task, they did not fail the task. It was something about the task or other conditions that caused them to fail. Like we have to be introspective and reflective to some degree to, to do this work. I think the other point that you get at is what counts as learning. So let's use your example again. I work with teachers. Well, let's use your example first. Sports, right? I'm doing PE. What's my goal? My goal is to have a healthy body. I don't know. I don't know what the teacher's goal was, but let's say, you know, is to have a healthy body, to be physically active and do all those things, right? So again, and again, now you're making me think about PE. It's like, I remember how excited we were some days when we got to do fun sports and like when we had to run the mile, right? That was like the most miserable day. It's like, can't you get me to be physically active without having me run the mile all the time? Like, there might be a better way for me to do that, right? I mean, I don't know, it's not my area of expertise, but I can imagine some, um, some introspection there. Um, 
But I think to your point, one is it helped me expand my notions of what counts as learning. And I'm gonna give you just one quick example as a teacher educator. And I think this would apply in a K-12 classroom as well. Um, so what I found is my late policy, some assignments, like when my students have to go out and teach, other students and young people are, are, um, are uh, in the mix there and we have a responsibility to them your lesson plans need to be in on time or you don't get to teach. There's no flexibility there, right? Right, super important. We know why we have no flexibility. It's, it's our collective accountability to young people out there. We can't go out there and teach a terrible lesson. However, with other things, if things come up, you can get some grace. All I ask for is a 24 hour notice. Or if there's an emergency, give me a little bit of notice, right? Because our goal is to learn, our girl goal is not to turn stuff in. Right. So that that's part of what we do. So what I found my students. So we were talking about this contract grading at the end of the quarter. They need to tell me why they deserve what they deserve and they need to provide rationale. By the way, incredible learning that shows up in that students have choreographed dances, written poems, done infographics, explaining all those things. But one of the things that I found with a lot of the students is in those, they said, look, some of the tasks uh, and assignments we turned in a little bit late but it's because I knew that if I was gonna turn it in on Sunday night, it wouldn't reflect the quality of work that I wanted. But if I turn it on Monday night or Tuesday night, then it would reflect that quality. And I go, time out. What just happened here? First of all, they're showing a commitment to excellence, right? And look, they're college students, they're busy. K-12 students are busy too. Uh, we don't talk to other teachers to see what they're assigning. Sometimes they're being bludgeoned with stuff and literally they can't get stuff done. So come on, do you, do you wanna, you know, what are we what are we looking at there? So I say that to say that one of the things that I found my students um, developed as part of this process, which I think is super critical for future teachers, is prioritizing. They learned that the most important thing is to make sure that their own students that they're working with were in a good place and other tasks were secondary to that. It's not that they weren't important, but if I only have 24 hours in a day, this is what I'm going to focus on. And they didn't recognize their own learning around that. And it's not measured in a test and it's et cetera, et cetera. Okay, so there's that. But I'm gonna go back to your regular question and I'm going to evoke Johanna Brown, who's an AP teacher. And I'm gonna evoke me, who's a teacher preparer, whose students have to go take the EdTPA. Well, I can tell you, my students pass at higher rates than the national average, they do. I know in talking to, to teachers who have to deal with standardized tests and all of that, Guess what? I mean, it's like this, it's like this weird argument, right? So like we started this conversation by you saying grades undermine learning, which they do, right? But then people are fixated that if you don't give grades, then there's not going to be learning, which right, it's this kind of false, false argument. And I think it goes back to this notion of rigor, which is really problematic. Students work hard and listen, what if it comes easy? Like your, let's go back to your example. You know, pitching comes easy. So uh, should you be punished because you're a good pitcher, but not a good runner? Like, like some of these things are like, if we, I think if we unpack some of these notions that I get, and I agree with you, like are really, really deeply seated, but they're really absurd when you really think about it. Right. Um, and I think, again, I go back to the point of like, we need to really stop and think about what is learning, what are our priorities and, and recognize that this system that's been constructed is really artificial and and we we have a right to question 
and I think it's in that questioning that like we pull at it and then we, we do see the absurdity of a lot of it, right? If, if our desire is to see students learn and even for us as professionals to learn better ways, we don't do it, you know, in, it, I, I think people look for the boxes and then they say, hey, you know, do it this way and then you'll get X, you know, it's the recipe where it's like, hey, if we create the environment and then the relationships of trust with a focus and a purpose, then we get someplace. Um, it is interesting. And, and so maybe this is the last question I'll get you to, because you've been an administrator and you do bring up the PE one. When I became a high school principal, I, I mean, it became my mission to be like, you know what, we're going to create the greatest P and I, I didn't have PE background at that point in time. I was just, I had taught English and history and, you know, the humanities and all those sorts of things. And so when I became principal, it was like, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to crack this nut of what PE is and what it should be. And it became phenomenal. And one of my great friends is still doing some amazing stuff with PE. And, and it, so it is pretty awesome. But it, it, and I have a lot of friends who listen to this, who are school leaders. If I'm a, if I'm a building leader, a principal, you know, a school leader, who's like, you know, innovative or just pushing or just, you know, just dissatisfied with, with what we have. And like, there is a better way. What would you encourage having been an administrator to then say, you know, what, what would be the encouragement to say, Hey, you know what, get, get her done, go after it, figure it out, get messy. Well, I, I think you just, you just did it for me. Right. And I mean, I think it's, um, I think it's it's interesting how you bring how you bring that up as you know one way of transforming it. But what I was paying attention to you as you were talking is the excitement, and I can tell you again every time I've ever talked to anyone who has done this thing, it's liberatory. And I use that word very deliberately of hey, the kids don't feel trapped, the instructors don't feel trapped. It's we get to do something, but there's some joy in this thing. And part of the joy is from doing something that we enjoy, but also from accomplishing and learning. Um, but I think if I'm an administrator, I look as, as when I was an administrator, I'm looking for the coalition of the willing, right? I'm finding the couple of teachers who are willing to engage in this and do this and allocate resources, right? Th this can be done you just got to find the teachers or talk the teachers into it that are willing to do it. Um, and then it'll happen. What, I think what's interesting to me is what you're describing, Eric, is one of my dreams. And my colleague is next door. So I'm going to be cautious in saying this, but I teach a series of classes. And then someone else teaches the, the following two classes. And one of the things that happened with that is I kind of put her in a jam because it's hard to go to return to, to a structure that you feel isn't fair when you've been in this ungrading kind of environment and students start becoming advocates, right? For like, hey, we want to learn, but this doesn't make sense. They start asking some of these questions that we were talking about and they start becoming the pebbles on the pond. And I say that to say that if you start with, you know, one or two teachers that are doing this, right? And the test scores are not going down, they're going up, and the students seem to be happy and less stressed. I mean, heck, we didn't talk about the anxiety, right? I mean, that there's a whole body. So like the arbitrary nature of it is one part, probably the single largest body, regardless of high achieving, low achieving, whatever, right, is the huge amount of anxiety students feel around grades. Um, 
but when you see that it's undeniable, like it, it's one of those things where it's like the proof is in the pudding. Um, so if I'm an administrator, I'm finding the one or two teachers who are willing to do this, even if the department chair or whoever, doesn't matter if they're young or old, but don't, don't kind of go along with this and create the space for them to do this um, and support it. Because again, I, I have literally, this is one of the few things that I've seen never fail when it's instituted in a principled way. And again, the theory says it all should work and the barriers we have are kind of irrational, yet, yet we don't do it. So again, I would, I would offer encouragement, I would offer um, space and time to do it, but I suspect, and we're seeing this, we're seeing this now with some of our partners. Once a teacher starts to do it and others see it, then it starts raising awareness. I have not seen a school that fully does it, but I'm now getting to a point where I'm seeing departments that are that are doing it. So my hope is that day is coming and I hope they put that place all over the news and 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 people get to learn from it. But um, that would be that would be my thought. Just just creating space and finding finding the conspirators to do it. Well, and I love that, too. Right. Because so much in our profession has been top down change. Where it's like, you know what, you know, create the, co I love that, the coalition of the willing, find those people who are ready. Because so often what I've seen, you know, in the big change in education when it becomes top down is that, that people aren't ready and you don't have enough of those pioneers or innovators, however you want to talk about that coalition of the willing that says, hey, you know what, I don't mind being a little further out front. And then, and then you get that next wave and the next wave and you know, so it is interesting to even think about that from an educational perspective where we think about change top down rather than kind of the bottom up and find and cultivate that change process. Yeah, I mean, I, I, sorry, I was going to say it, it really is very much a, a flip of, of power. And I'll leave you with one piece which relates to this. You know, I always think I'm on the edge and often I find I'm not. And, and recently I was walking with one of my colleagues and we were talking about how this manifests in the syllabus. And, and she asked me, what's in your syllabus? And what's the first thing that usually is on a syllabus? It's the instructor's name. And she goes, how are you going to say you have a community and, and, and a trusting space when your name goes first all the time? And I can tell you since then, my syllabi no longer have an instructor, they now have a learning community. And every student who is part of our learning community puts their name, not every student has to, if, if they so wish they, they do, and, and generally all of them will, which then gives us ownership of that entire space. And if you were to look at my syllabus and you didn't know my name, you wouldn't know who the instructor is because we're all kind of listed there arbitrarily. And that's part of, in some ways, people go, oh, that's chaotic and like out of control. This is anarchy kind of a thing. And it's like, I, I, I would disagree and say very much like you're saying, it's really a bottom-up approach and an invitation to consider this as a learning space for all of us and recognize that the learners in the space have a lot to say about, the right? And again, I go back to your PE example. If that teacher would have given you an opportunity to say, hey, how could you demonstrate your learning or how would you show that you are fit? Right, that could have been a completely different journey, um, and certainly emotionally would have been better. But and who knows? You know, you may you may have become an even better athlete because you would have had more opportunities to meaningfully practice and be be validated for for what you did rather than not. 
Yeah, Doran, this is incredible. I know you and I have so many things that we enjoy talking about, so we could go on and on. So we may have to pick up part two, part three, part four later on. But Doran, this is amazing. Thank you. I'll connect you with the the you know with my friends and the people listening to this. I really appreciate you. Absolutely, my pleasure, and I'm 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 uh, I'm appreciative of you making space for such an important conversation. Thanks, Doran.